Brogdon gets around. Oh, yeah! It down! Yeah! Way to go out of Malcolm! Strong left hand finish there! All the day, it's mother chicken. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. Today, we are going to recap the Indiana Pacers five-game road trip that just concluded last night. Uh, and we're also going to get Victor Oladipo news since this first game is going to be on Wednesday. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But first, we'll uh, talk about the uh, recent news of Kobe Bryant Pat, um, being killed in a helicopter accident. Um, if you've been on social media, you've seen all the reports and everything like that. Um, as you know, the two guys from Circle City Sports Podcast, of course, our thoughts and prayers go out to all the families that are involved. It was more than just Kobe Bryant and his daughter. It was some more families involved as well. So, Jake, I, I don't know about you, but... Kobe Bryant was literally the reason why I got into basketball, and he is the guy that instilled uh, competition and being tough and everything like that and being competitive. He he instilled all that into me because I remember just watching him in the early to late 2000s, and that was really his, his dominant era was during that time, just seeing him just, no matter what, just going out there trying to get the win every night. He was the reason why I fell in love with the game of basketball. It wasn't even in the in, the Indiana Pacers. It was Kobe Bryant seeing him win those two titles in L.A. Um, I know I'm I'm gonna miss Kobe a lot because he he even became a big person outside of basketball when he retired just three years ago. And I know a lot of people are gonna miss him, but I know this one recording this the day after. But I know this is this one's really hurting me still. Yeah, it's a huge shock. I mean, we had, obviously the news broke midday yesterday and a lot of people are in shock. And, you know, my initial thoughts were just just su- such sadness to lose a guy in the prime of his life, beginning his his business ventures after basketball and, you know, grooming his young daughter who ultimately lost her life in this incident as well um, to kind of carry on his legacy. And, um, you know, that was my initial thoughts. And then, you know, as the day goes on, you know, for someone to leave a legacy behind where the whole world stops and you have cities lighting up the purple and gold in his honor, I mean, that that's an amazing legacy to leave behind, first of all, to try to give a positive note on it. He's obviously gone way too soon, but I think it's amazing for any human being to be able to compile a legacy where the whole world stopped yesterday. I mean, you couldn't turn on any news outlet. I was on NBA TV almost all day. I just talked with you before we went on about how great Brian Shaw was in specifics on Kobe Bryant and the emotion that all these players and executives were um, before these games. And, and they ultimately did end up playing yesterday and, you know, the news outlets. I mean, it, it, it was just amazing to see the impact Kobe Bryant had on, not just in the world of basketball, but, but in the world, I mean, he was a global icon. And, you know, when, when Michael Jordan retired, the NBA was kind of looking for that next superstar and, Kobe Bryant fell into their laps. I mean, he was ultimately drafted 13th by the Hornets and was traded to the Lakers. And I think that was one of the best things that could have ever happened to the league for him to be donning the purple and gold, you know, in the late nineties when Michael Jordan's career was kind of winding down and he immediately handed that torch off to almost his offensive clone, um, a guy that idolized Michael. I mean, it was such a great thing for the NBA to have. And he really 
took that baton and ran with it. He was such an amazing player. I remember the first year I started watching basketball was in the year 2000. <clears throat> and as an eight-year-old kid, I didn't know really anything about anybody in the league at that point. And, and the Pacers went to the finals that year. And I remember, you know, just being hopeful that my team could win a championship. And I will never forget the onslaught of, of Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant and, and the greatness that, that Kobe showed in that series. And that was really my first taste of basketball greatness. Because, again, you know, I, I didn't really – I wasn't old enough to absorb Michael Jordan and all those things. Kobe Bryant really was, for me, the first legend I got to memorize and watch. And, and that's for a lot of us, especially on social media. Um, you know, Michael Jordan's kind of that that legend figure, that, you know, guy that people talk about in the past. But Kobe Bryant, for a lot of us, was the guy that that embodied what we got to see as a legend, as an icon. Like you said, a guy that always wanted to win a guy that had a drive like nobody I've ever seen in the history of sports. And, and to lose a guy this young, it, it's just so tragic. And, you know, his daughter, again, I mean, at, at just 13 years old, it, it's unbelievable because, you know, you talk about a butterfly effect. I mean, with her last name and her genes, I mean, who knows the kind of impact she could have had on women's basketball moving she forward. She probably would have put the NBA, the WNBA on the map for real. And yeah. the WNBA is big in their own right, but when she would have gotten to the WNBA – they, they probably would have gotten a lot more broadcast games. Exactly. And, and you don't want to pigeonhole someone's life into a sport. But, you know, it's just it's just thinking about things that that could have been, you know, her whole life was in front of her. She had a blank slate. And, you know, you could tell Kobe was so proud to have her following in his footsteps. You could tell she really wanted to follow in his footsteps in, in basketball. And I've seen some of her uh, videos before they passed. And, you know, I just remember thinking that I just remember, man, this could be an individual that puts a sport on the map like nothing we've ever seen because the NBA or the WNBA hasn't had those same type of bloodlines that the NBA has had, you know, with the name and, and all that notoriety with it. And, you know, I think that, that she could have been something like that for that league. And you just talk about the ripple effect of losing somebody that young in their life. And, you know, it's just, it's just so tragic for them. And like you said, the other families involved, you don't overlook anybody that, that lost their lives, but, you know, like you said, just mourning an icon, mourning one of our heroes. And, um, you know, we just we just pray for his family and, and everyone involved with Kobe, all the players. You know, I saw Trey Young was very emotional with it. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving didn't even play because he was so close with Kobe. And, you know, he just impacted a lot of guys and really spent a lot of time working with players and, and trying to expand his knowledge and, and was really a selfless player. And um, after he retired, you got to see him as a human being, which is great. Um, you know, because he, he got that Black Mamba uh, label in the league. And, you know, at, at one point he was even a league villain when he tried to push himself out of L.A., um, you know, and then fell back into the public favor. And then after he retired, you got to see Kobe Bryant, the human being. And that was just great. And it really uh, personalized him for a lot of us and for me. And so it, it's just a terrible situation. I just I just hope his family can recover from this and his friends can recover from this. But it's just terrible to lose him so young. But it was great to see the NBA and the world really come together. Saw those 24-second violations, eight-second backcourt violations yesterday. And everyone rallied around the situation. And that's the one little shining light in situations like this that you can take away from it is, is tragedies bring out the best in people. And you see the true colors of people. And you saw it yesterday with the passing of Kobe. So if there's one silver lining to such a tragic situation, that would be it. And you look at even soccer players. And Kobe was born in England, and he lived a lot overseas. And the, I know he was a big, a big soccer guy. Neymar 
um, Neymar yesterday put up the 2-4 after hitting the penalty kick. I saw a couple soccer players this morning coming into their arena wearing Kobe jerseys, and we saw all around the NBA where, you know, it could be it was either Clippers, Magic, or whoever was playing last night, Pacers, Blazers last night. There was Kobe jerseys all over. You didn't necessarily have to be a Laker fan to be a Kobe fan, and that's how I was growing up before I really started watching Pacers a lot was I was a Kobe fan because just the drive and the mentality and the the mama mentality really all of it just was encapsulated. And it's it's really hard to see someone that you know I grew up idolizing. This he was really my first idol. I didn't really have an idol in football because I wasn't I didn't have a big uh, love for football. It was more basketball first. So to see probably my first idol pass away in such a tragic form is really really upsetting. But the legacy that Kobe left and the foot place that Kobe left where, like you said, so many people were touched by this. I think that's going to leave a lasting memory and a positive one of Kobe Bryant. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's move on to the uh, Pacers, the uh, five-game road trip. They went West Coast. Um, finished, finished it with three and two. I know Jake, Jake and I talked about before they went on the road trip, we thought, Two and three. If they can get three and two, that's good. They were looking at going to four and one until they went into Portland last night. But they got wins over over, De- over Denver, Phoenix, and San Francisco. But lost to uh, Portland. And then the Utah game will kind of throw away. But the Pacers now sit at 30 and 17 on the season and are fifth place in the East. They're one game behind the Boston Celtics right now. I think Boston's got to play two more games uh, for them to equal out in the same amount of wins. So. Um, Going over, going over the Denver game from last Sunday, a 115-107 win, uh, the Pacers' first win in, in Denver since 2007, and we got a strong performance, really the whole stretch, the whole West Coast stretch from Doug McDermott. In the Denver game, hit four or five threes in the fourth quarter, finished with 27, 24 points, um, was probably the key, big, the big reason why the Pacers were able to make that comeback in the fourth quarter, and as well as Domas Sabonis, just notching or notching his first career triple double and strengthening his, his claim to making an all-star team this year. Yeah, that was a huge win to start off the road trip. I mean, you know, you looked at those the first split right there and you figured you had to have that Denver game to be able to make this even a respectable road trip. Like you said, two and three, if they were going to do that. They had to win the Denver game. And so that was a huge, huge win going into the altitude. Denver was 17 and five at home. I know that that they had some injuries, but they're still a really deep team. And, I mean, we talked about it before the podcast, the last one, that we hadn't won there since 2007. I'm pretty sure I was editing my MySpace music profile page at that time, so that was a long, long time ago. And I think I was still enjoying the Colts Super Bowl victory. (laughs) Absolutely. Everybody was doing that. But it was just one of the guttiest wins of the season for me. I mean, you, you look at that first quarter. We've had a season low 15 points in the first quarter and and you thought oh man this isn't going to be good you know we're we're struggling with this road start having to go in the altitude and you know 15 points in that first quarter you you kind of get a little bit worried but then they end the game with a 41 point fourth quarter they had 20 or four players with 20 points they had Brogdon, Sabonis, Warren and McDermott combining for 90 points which was a huge key in in the win um you know so having that kind of balance which has been the staple all season was huge and I don't know if you knew this, but the Pacers actually outshot the Denver Nuggets from from deep. They shot more three pointers than the Denver Nuggets in that game, and ultimately that proved to be the big difference in that game. 
Yeah, you, you had Domas, who got it, like you said, his first triple-double. And it's amazing that that is our first triple-double since George Hill did it February 27th of 2015. And he had eight points, six rebounds, three assists in the fourth. Really, I mean, his scrap really helped put them away because he had a couple huge possessions with offensive rebounds. I know McDermott was the hero in that uh, in that fourth quarter. But, you know, Sabonis had a couple a uh, couple possessions where he had some really, really scrappy plays, and you could tell he really wanted that game, and and that was great to see him have a big fourth quarter like that. Something, and yeah. something you were praising about Sabonis about was in the fourth quarter. It was in the second half of the fourth quarter. You texted me. You said his defense on Nikola Jokic proved to be the difference maker on the defensive side. Yeah, I mean, two points he he had. No, like you said, those were on free throws. Um, he had help. They they were rotating guys over, but I mean, they put him on the perimeter against Jokic alone. They had him in the in the post at times alone on him. I mean, he did a really good job on him. I, again, we've talked about it. His defense this season has been really underrated, and he had a big game, big fourth quarter. But you know, his defense on Jokic I thought was really big because Jokic at the beginning was eating, and it was like, oh man, he's carrying over this this uh, momentum he had in the fourth of the last game where he kind of pushed them over the top to win. Uh, with his big fourth quarter, he came out strong again, and he thought he was going to potentially go for 40 on us. And Sabonis really locked him down in the fourth, so that was that was really nice to see. And and you had Malcolm Brogdon, who had arguably the play of the game. Um, I, can oh, we change the yes. from the president to the closer? Actually, I, mean, I forgot to mention. Yeah, it, the people that listen to the intro, we've got a brand new intro now. So I know it's real exciting. I remember, I remember, sit. I was sitting on my couch. My mom was asleep. And I saw the Brogdon dunk, and I just jumped up, and like I was screaming real loud, but I had no noise coming out because I couldn't wake my mother up, or she would have kicked me out of the house. But I was just so I, because we haven't. I think Brogdon's dunked maybe once or twice this whole season, and then for him to go up late game situation, throw it down left handed over Miles or Mason Miles, whoever Plumley it was, that was so big. That was that was a critical point in the game, and I was just like, what? What did I just see there? I mean, you, you, it looked like you saw 2017 Victor Oladipo. I mean, I, I was just watching that, and he's up at the top of the key, and you can tell he's going to do something with this. He had called everyone off. Sabonis clears Miles out of the lane. He tells him, get the hell out of here. And, and most he, of the time he, when he clears out against a big man, he does a hesitation. He kind of steps back a little bit, and he shoots a three-pointer. Yeah, so you you had everything clear for him, so you can tell this this play is drawn up for Malcolm. And what do you what do you see? You see him drive to the lane and dunk it. I was like, oh, I was like, whoa, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And that was a huge play. Quinn Buckner with his patented yeah thing that he does when everybody does everything. So, you know, that was a huge play of the game. That was probably the tw- the play of 2020 so far. That was just an amazing play. I mean, like I said, I felt like I was watching Victor Oladipo. He did that all the time where he would just take guys off the dribble and just slam it with his bounce and explosiveness. And we haven't really seen that. I mean, I, I saw it a little bit with Milwaukee. I saw him do it a couple times, but that was the first time with the Pacers that he's done it. And and you can just see he has a little sneaky athleticism. It was good to see because that back looked looked better. Unfortunately, now he's out with the concussion. Miles Turner elbowed him in the face. But, you know, he he it looked like he was over all the injuries at that point. And, and that was just such a great moment to see. That was really the capper on it. And like I said, I think his new nickname is the closer now. I mean, he he is just every game. He is with the ball in his hands. 
He is getting to the free throw line. He is hitting big threes. He is making the baskets that need to be made. And, you know, having this guy this season has just been such a huge, huge key to us winning 30 games, man. I mean, we've won 30 games before Victor came back. And and I just never honestly thought that would be a realistic goal for us. And and Malcolm Brogdon's a big reason why. But that that play will definitely be one of the top five plays of the season because that that was amazing and something I didn't I didn't expect at all. And something we keep we kept talking about off air was who's going to be the closer not necessarily now when victor's back but once we get to march april and may when we get to real playoff time is it going to be malcolm brogdon or is it going to be victor oladipo and i know you've said it's it's victor but i would i would honestly much sure i give the ball to victor to malcolm brogdon let him run a pick and roll bonus with with about 18 seconds left and if it gets down to under six or under seven and you don't have anything going then you throw it to Victor Oladipo and let him create a shot. But I think, who, who I think I think we need to go through Malcolm Brogdon uh, early in the possession at least when we need a, when we need a bucket because I think uh, Fox Sports One had that stat out a couple weeks ago. I, it was like he averaged six points in clutch time per uh, per one hundred possessions or something like that. And it, that's gonna be a nice luxury because like we've talked about it, the Pacers really haven't had a closer outside of Victor Oladipo, a guy they can throw the ball to. And really, you've got a couple couple different guys you can have doing that in this closing lineup once we get to, uh, to playoff basketball. Yeah, and I mean, the great thing is, I mean, both of those guys are selfless. Neither one of those guys have egos. So whoever has the ball, they're going to make the right play. And I, I think that's the great thing about it is I, I don't even know if we necessarily have to pick because, like you said, you can initially have the ball with Brogdon, and he's either going to see the right play and make the right play, or he's going to realize that he doesn't have anything going and, and pass it off to Victor and vice versa. I mean, neither one of those guys to me has this ego to where, Oh, I have to be the guy in crunch time. I have to do this. They just want to win. I mean, both of those guys just want to win. And that's why I think aside from their defensive prowess and, you know, their, their ability as playmakers and, and defense as guards, they're a great matchup naturally. But I, I also think just the intangibles make them a great matchup, just their selflessness, their leadership, as the guards for this team, I think that it just makes for a beautiful, beautiful end of game uh, situation for us that we we can have confidence that those guys are going to make the right play. I mean, you know, I see a lot of guys that are stars for teams just make these terrible jack up jump shots and, you know, just just really crumble in, in those moments. And I don't really see Victor and Malcolm having that issue once Victor comes back. It's going to be really, really fun to watch come Wednesday to see how those guys look in those situations. But, you know, all in all, it was a great win in Denver. And the last guy, obviously, I want to talk about Doug McDermott a little bit. Had his best career uh, quarter. I mean, he had 18 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, that that's a ton, man. I mean, that's 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 not like three games of production for a regular I'm going to start a petition right now that we move that we move the Pacers to the West Coast. Because every time it seems like we go to the West Coast, that's when we see the best of Doug McDermott. Yeah, Nate, I mean, Nate McMillan's really, really tapping into him as a go-to scorer in those situations. He he has Sabonis in there. He has Sabonis. And, he was, and McDermott was in the closing lineup uh, last night. Yeah, I mean, you know, what? They, they have a lot of confidence in him in that role, and they're getting more and more confidence in him in that role. And, you know, because it's one thing for a guy to come in in the third and score some buckets, but when you have a guy that, that can do it in the crunch time, that really takes their value to another level. And, you know, McDermott really won us the game um, with his shooting in, in those situations. And, you know, I know he had he had all of his baskets were assisted. So give give a lot of credit to his teammates. But, you know, I mean, still, you when you have a guy that that hits six out of seven from from three from the field, 
and all that stuff. I mean, you know, he had nine out of 10 from the field, six out of seven from three. That's a crazy stat line. And he did it twice on the road trip. So for him to be able to have that kind of statistical night and, and be able to carry that into the later part of the season, going into the all-star game where he should be in the three point contest. We'll see if that happens. Uh, maybe that, that might be if where that, this if that happens is. that we're going to need someone actually passing him the ball and not him getting it off a rack. Cause I think if he goes off the rack, he's probably going to make maybe three shots. But if you know someone were to go out there and pass it to him, he'd probably make every shot. Yeah, that's true. We we need to have Domas as the guy handing the ball to him on the uh, on the three point contest. But but regardless, he deserves to be in there. He's one of the top five three point shooters in the league right now. Great to see him blossom in, into a key bench piece for this team. And you know, I just I just it's crazy with McDermott because my entire basketball fandom. I've watched these teams with guys like Kyle Korver and JJ Redick and Lou Williams and just these these lethal bench scores and I'm like man if the Pacers could ever get a guy like that it would be great and Doug McDermott is just blossoming into that guy it's it's always fun to see him come in and check in because you know he's going to get baskets and you know he's going he's doing great moving without the ball he's making smart decisions he's not really a liability anywhere when he's in I mean he's not a great defender but he's not like it's not like you're watching him get destroyed like you would and you're not putting him on not even the second or third best offensive player yeah, I mean, they're, they're really doing a great job not exposing him on that end. And, and the Pacers' ability to switch and, and their versatility defensively helps that. But, you know, just to have that lethal score off the bench is something that the Pacers have never really had. I mean, you know, Lance was a great player, but he wasn't a lethal scorer. I mean, you know, you had Luis Scola, nice player. Very, but There was always that player. good, bad Lance. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But even Lance at his best, I mean, you know, he wasn't a scorer. I mean, he could get baskets, but he was just a playmaker. I mean, Lance was just a, a bat. He was a lot like TJ McConnell, but I, I mean, he would, he was more willing to shoot the three, but Lance was a lot more like TJ than he is a Doug McDermott. Doug McDermott's just a guy that gets baskets. And that that's something that this bench has missed for a long, long time. And to have him in that, I mean, and that, that, that leads to my stat of the night, man. I mean, I don't usually point out individual stats, but I, I put this one on there because I know you're going to love it. The Pacers outscored the Nuggets by 30 points at the three-point line. I know you're grinning from ear to ear on hearing that one. That 30 points, that's not the Pacers calling card, but Doug McDermott led the way, and they did it against Denver, and it led to one of the bigger wins, one of the bigger road wins of the year. Yeah, I'm very much grinning from ear to ear. And I'm I, I've always, I'm going to be keep harping on the Pacers' three-point shooting, and it's dead last. I want to say it's like 28 attempts per game. And shooting threes is a lot about shooting on volume and not shooting a percentage-wise. You could shoot the best percentage, but if you only shoot 28 of them and you hit half of them, that's only 14. But if you were, you know, shooting 40 of them and hit about 30, 30, 30% or so or 35%, you're bound to, you know, make more. So that's going to be my biggest gripe about the Indiana Pacers the rest of the year probably. But uh, moving on to the other games, the Utah game, I don't want to get into very much. That's honestly a schedule loss. Utah had 115 in our last 16 going into that game, so I think it was a little surprising we lost by 30, but I didn't put much stock into that game. The Phoenix game, of course, the TJ Warren revenge game. Uh, we had the over-under set at 30, and Warren, it looked like he was going to get there. I think he had like eight points in the first quarter, finished mm -hmm. 25. Played really good defense on Devin Booker, too, and only allowed him to uh, 16 points on 5 of 12 shooting. Um, and that huge third quarter after Malcolm Brogdon got hurt, didn't come back in. TJ McConnell came in as a starting point guard in the third quarter. And really that third quarter was a big difference where the Pacers were out, able to outscore the Suns 29-17. to 17. Yeah, this was the game that we had circled as our swing game 
in when we did the preview show. I mean, this was a game where it was like, okay, if you're going to go home with a winning road trip, this is kind of an odd game because yes, the Suns don't have a great record, but you know, they got some pieces out there. I mean, Devin Booker is, is a guy like, you know, the couple guys we're going to talk about later and D'Angelo Russell and um, Damian Lillard, who can get basket, 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 baskets, and you go off for 45 points against us. They have a very talented young big man in Aiton, um, you know, who I was worried might give us some trouble. Ricky Rubio is a really nice facilitator. I mean, they have some pieces out there that, you know, you just come off of a back to back in altitude. You know, that that's that's a tough, a tough game to come in. And the Pacers just really laid the wood to him. I mean, you know, like you said, McConnell went out or uh, uh, McBrogdon, excuse me, went out at halftime. This was a game where he took the elbow to the face by miles, Um, you know, and you were only up six at halftime, you know, so you come in and you're up six at halftime and you have your backup point guard come in. And, and it's just so weird, Sam. Like, I love Malcolm Brogdon as much as anybody on this team. But when T.J. Warren got – or T.J. McConnell got the start to the second half, I was excited. I mean, I just love watching this guy run the offense. It's just so fun to see his energy, his pace. And and he really ballooned that lead up. Uh, you know, yeah, for He's him, not he, much of a threat offensively, really. He can get his own shot, I think. But like you said, he plays a little – he plays the game a little bit faster of a pace. And he's, I think he – can see a lot more of the court a little bit better than Brogdon can. And I can agree with you. I've, I've always said, at, at least when Victor's out, that T.J. McConnell should be the starting point guard. Um, but Victor's about to come back, so my opinion actually changes a little bit on that. So, But, yeah, like you said, when T.J. McConnell has to come in and play point guard, I don't see a major drop-off, kind of like what we see, saw last year with, uh, with Corey Joseph. Well, it's just great to be in that situation where if Malcolm misses time, which, you know, he he has and he probably will continue to miss time at certain junctures. Um, you know, I mean, it's just great to have a situation where, you know, you have a guy that can provide great effectiveness. I mean, that was a second consecutive game with 10 plus assists. I mean, the guy's speed and court vision is just is just great. And, and it's just the pace he plays. at. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Teams don't like to keep up with that stuff. I mean, when you're especially in the in the regular season, when you have a guy that's moving around like that, I mean, that's exhausting. I mean, you have a guy just cutting and driving and passing and all these things. And, you know, a lot of teams just don't really, especially in the dog days of the season, just don't have the energy to keep up with the guy. And that's that's a big part of his effectiveness, just his intelligence, his scrappiness, his pace. I mean, like you said, you look at him, he's only like six one. I don't think he even cracks 200 pounds, but he plays the game with such energy that you know, he brings a lot and he's always looking to facilitate. That's one thing that makes him such a great point guard is, you know, I mean, it's great to have scoring point guards. Uh, but when you have a guy like that, that that's always looking for his teammates, I think it, I think it brings a little bit more to the table because the Pacers have so many guys that, you know, can score baskets. They don't need him to do that. So, you know, he's a perfect fit for what we have with that starting unit. And it was just so, so cool to see him come in. Unfortunately, it came at the cost of Malcolm Brogdon. Um, but, you know, hopefully he's back really soon. But, you know, it, it it was just great to see him come in and be able to to provide that energy. Like you said, T.J. Warren just continues to torch the Suns, 25 more points, 11 out of 18 from the field. You could tell this game meant a little something extra to him. But, you know, it's like in the first matchup, T.J. didn't do too much. I mean, you weren't you weren't watching him and at any point thought, all right, T.J., settle down, let the team get into a flow. You're kind of shooting us out of this thing. You know, he just he's such a smart basketball player. And. You know, we, we've talked about it a couple times when you have a guy coming over from a losing organization, how are they going to respond to a winning selfless culture? And TJ, TJ Warren is just really just slid right in 
to the culture that we have right here. And, you know, that, that shows when you shoot 11 out of 18 from the field, that's supreme efficiency for a guy leading your team in scoring for the night. And, uh, you know, I mean, one other guy, I mean, Miles Turner had an underrated defensive stat line. He had the five steals, five blocks game. I mean, that was pretty cool. I mean, it, it, it wasn't very noted, but I mean, anytime you have a game with five steals and five blocks, I was looking at I guess the center like DeAndre Aiden too. That's, that's really impressive because Aiden was, I think he was the number one overall pick just two years ago. Yeah. I mean, he was, I think he was number two, not sure. Either number one or number two. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, I mean, e- either way, I mean, Sabonis and Turner just ate him alive. You could tell he wasn't, he wasn't ready for those guys. Those weren't, those weren't, uh, that wasn't for him. I was interested to see how they would do against him. And and honestly, I was surprised that they just completely demolished that kid. They really missed Aaron Baines in this matchup. I will say that I was, I felt like that was a little bit of a break that he was out. I didn't note Sabonis' performance in this game because I think he just did what he always does. But um, I know he did destroy Aiden on the offensive end. And, you know, I just wanted to note miles, five blocks, five steals. That's, that's huge. And then, you know, I mean, we, we handed them a 25 point loss, man. That's their largest loss of the season. So I was, I was just overall impressed with them. You know, this is smack dab in the middle of the road trip, the swing game I felt like. So, you know, for us to be able to go in there and, and really, really beat them down the way we did was, was pretty impressive. And the last win on the road trip, Pacers went to uh, the Warriors, the first game in the new chase center. Um, Pacers won 129 to 118. I didn't watch the second half of this game because for some reason they like to, have the West Coast game start super late, and so that game, I think it started like what ten thirty or so, and my bedtime is usually right around midnight. So I did not stay up for the whole game. Uh, I lo- looked at the recap, kind of watched the second half a little bit. TJ Warren again, another big game, thirty three points on an efficient fourteen twenty three shooting. But I thought most, I think most of the first half he was guarding D'Angelo Russell, and he he gave up thirty. He didn't specifically give up 37 points to D'Angelo Russell, but Russell had a lot of problems. Um, we we had a lot of problems against D'Angelo Russell, and but um, yeah, 33 points from T.J. Warren, and we also got another good game from Doug McDermott. Six, six of seven again from three pointer, uh, nine of ten from the field, 24 points. Tell me if you've heard heard that on this West Coast road trip so far. Um, just another good win for the Pace for the Pacers on this road trip. Uh, like we said, against the Warriors, that team was feisty, especially at home. Um, we thought that wasn't going to be a very easy game, and it wasn't for the most part. Yeah, they came out with a good strategy. I mean, they were trying to run us off the court. I mean, knowing that, you know, this was the fourth game now of our of our five road trip swing. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, fans listening to this that don't necessarily – you know, aren't as engaged as some keep hearing us reference these road trips. And, you know, they think, do teams really think about that? Well, yeah, they do. I mean, you know, teams understand that, hey, this team's on the fourth road game in, in five games. I mean, we're going to try to. You and me talk about that when we're looking at Pacers schedules. Like when we play someone like Boston, do we see if they are on the first or second eye of a back-to-back? I know you and me look at that very much so because, like we said, that Utah game, I think it would have went a whole lot more different if we weren't playing on the second eye of a back-to-back in altitude like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but just, you know, anybody listening is like, are you guys making a too big of a deal about this? I don't think so. I mean, I think a lot of teams do see on the schedule where you're at. And I do think they plan to attack that. And I, you know, I know the Warriors being a West coast team or a fast paced team anyway, but I think that that does play into it. You know, they were just, they were just pushing the ball up court, trying to get the quick. And they were shot. forcing a lot of turnovers, which allowed them yeah. to move the ball up the court. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I mean, if you wear a team down, 
you know, that that's on a road trip like this, you have a chance to just take their will away. I mean, even if it's a five point game, you know, if you get winded by the mid third quarter, you can go on a 10, nothing run because of it. And all of a sudden you're up 15 and you, you really put that team away. So, you know, I felt like they had a good strategy to come out with, you know, I mean, like you said, D'Angelo Russell, I mean, he's just the latest in a guy when Malcolm Brogdon is an in man, we just, those guards just light us, light us up. I mean, we really miss Brogdon's size, his aggressiveness, you know, his defensive prowess, um, his ability to, to guard guys without fouling. I mean, he, he's such a key cog to the guards in this, in, in our schedule. I mean, whenever he's not in, you saw it with Kemba Walker, Trey young, D'Angelo Russell, uh, Damian Lillard. I mean, it's just, the list goes on when he's not in, these guys just light it up. And like you said, he had 37 points. He was the guy really, you just had to survive his output. And we were fortunately able to do that. Like you said, Warren really matched him. That was really the key to the game was Warren being able to match him with, with 33 points. And, you know, you were able to get efficient nights from other guys, but you know, that was just a game that, you know, like we had referenced, it it was going to be a tough game. I still felt like we were going to pull it out. I didn't think it was going to be as vital as the, the Phoenix game, but you know, it was still nice to get a win against a really scrappy team. I mean, like we had said, we watched them and this isn't a team that's rolled over by any sense of the word. And, and uh, Steve Kerr deserves a lot of credit for the fight that he has in these guys. And, Some of the guys he's trotting out there I'd never heard of before, had really nice uh, games for them. So, uh, you know, it it was nice to be able to go in there, sneak out a road win. I mean, it wasn't too much notable outside of, like you said, T.J. Warren, Doug McDermott, you know, had a huge shooting night again. So um, all in all, it was just you get the job done and and you go into Portland playing with house money at that point. Yeah, and and Portland, of course, they didn't have Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner. Uh, Started T.J. McConnell and Carr Sampson in place for them too, and I know you and me – kind of question that decision because of the spacing and such, but um, it was the end of the road trip, the five, the five games, and I didn't take too much into this um, to this game if we won or lost. Uh, we got our three wins already, so we thought this was already a win, but I didn't get to watch this game. Uh, the Pacers lost 139 to 129. Uh, good good game offensively. DeMoss Bonus picked up his second triple-double, uh, 27 points, 14 assists, and 11 rebounds, but Damian Lillard's 50 points, and I know C.J. McConnell had a really good game last night. Uh, those those two guys, their hot shooting, just provided to be the difference. And I'm honestly just going to chalk this up as a end of road trip. We're ready to go home and get Victor back uh, type of game for the Pacers. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm with you on that. But I, I think this was a game the Pacers could have had. I, I wasn't crazy about starting Jakar Sampson. You know, you have a team that shoots the three, one through four. And you trot out a guy in Samson that isn't really a good perimeter defender. And then you have Sabonis, who isn't really a good perimeter defender. And it led to Lillard scoring 17 points in the first quarter. I mean, obviously, neither one of those guys are on him. But just the rotation and movement, I mean, you, you allow him to go off for that. And that sets the tone for everything. I mean, I know he ended up with 50, so 17 doesn't seem like a ton. But, you know, if you're able to throw him off, put a little more versatile lineup, switch a little bit better, put guys on him that are more capable, you may have been able to set a different tone for Lillard. I mean, I think he came in with, like, three straight 40-point games. I mean, he was on some kind of ridiculous tear, you know, setting Blazers' record for scoring. So maybe there was, maybe I'm just being too nitpicky. But, you know, I, I felt like if they would have went with a little more versatile starting lineup, put Justin Holiday in or – you know, somebody else that, that can guard the perimeter a little bit better than Samson. I think that you may have been able to set a different tone for that. And, you know, I mean, you, you got to, you got a, a point where you were down by five late in the third and, and you have 
you know, this bad foul sequence with, with uh, Warren being pushed off and um, kicking uh, Lillard in a sensitive area. And we end up going down like 12 because of that. And, you know, I mean, it was just like you said, one of those nights. It was frustrating. The one thing I do take away from it, though, Sam, I was really impressed with the fight of this team. I mean, like I said, we were going into Portland with house money. If you listen to McMillan, you listen to Brogdon, some of those guys, it was let's go home with a road winning record. And you had that after Golden State. It would have been really easy with that early Damian Lillard onslaught. And obviously when uh, they announced McCollum would be back, he came back again too early. But when they announced he would be back, I kind of felt really bleak about our ability to guard them on the perimeter. But, you know, I mean, I felt like this team fought all the way to the end. And you had Sabonis, like you said, really putting his stamp on the 2020 All-Star game with with his second triple-double. And, um, you know, you had, you had guys that were just fighting. I mean, they put in that bench unit and – got some big threes from McDermott and they cut it down. And, you know, I was just, he played 40, Sabonis played 41 minutes, which was surprising to me that they put him out that long. But, you know, I mean, you could tell this team wanted this win. They wanted to go home up 4-1 with a 4-1 record. And, you know, I was just impressed overall with the fight. I mean, you know, it was just, they were just too much from the perimeter. They just had, they were making everything. You know, Ariza had a couple ridiculously made threes and, you know, uh, Carmelo Anthony did what he does. But, you know, all, all in all, it was a great road record. So now that the Pacers have concluded the five-game road trip, they get the ultimate prize coming back. Victor Oladipo's finally coming back. It seems like not even a day or two ago that Shams from The Athletic uh, reported that Victor Oladipo's coming back. Uh, it was just three weeks ago, but still Victor Oladipo's back. Jake, I know you're going to be in the atmosphere. I know it's going to be a crazy game. Um, what do we expect from Victor Oladipo? Do we expect a whole lot? I know Zion Williamson just returned from New Orleans Pelicans. A little bit of a different position, a little bit different of an injury, but he's played about 15 to 20 minutes or so each game. He's been starting for him. What do we expect from Victor Odipo these next few home games that we have? I mean, just put those sneakers on the hardwood, man. I mean, there's there's not really much we can expect from him, honestly, at this point. There's not – I mean, the crazy thing is about it, I mean, we're all so excited about his return – and just to have his number four back on the court. But, you know, with the way we're playing right now, I mean, if he just comes in, provides some good defense, gets us some rebounds, you know, makes a couple three-pointers, I mean, we're we're golden, honestly. I mean, he can ease his way back into this SEC's fit. I mean, he's he's coming back into a really good situation. It's not like, you know, we're a game under 500 fighting for that HD, and it's like, oh, man, we need – we need uh, all NBA Victor back right away. We're, we're in a good position. I mean, he just needs to come out, get back in the flow. I'll be interested to see. I remember when Paul George came back and they really kind of camped him out on the perimeter as a shooter at first. I wonder if they're going to do the same thing with Victor. And I, I'm really interested to see how his three-point shot looked. Um, you know, our, our, our buddy Alex had Kent Sterling on his show, and uh, Kent was talking about Victor. And he said that they he's worked on that three-point shot a lot. And he said he thinks it looks better. Um, so I'm interested to see how much is the three-point game going to be a part of his repertoire now. You know, and I think that's something we need. I mean, you talk about us shooting 28 per game. I, I wonder if Victor's going to kind of be that guy that pushes us over that 31, 32 mark per game to put us into a little bit more respectable territory in terms of shooting threes. Because, I mean, I referenced Paul George before. That was the biggest difference with Paul George pre- and post-injury was he wasn't a guy that could really score from the perimeter consistently, consistent jump shooter. And now he, he can score from anywhere. I mean, he's one of the top 10 offensive players in the league now. And I wonder if this injury is going to be able to provide that for Victor 
down the road, obviously not when he comes back, but, you know, going into next year. And, and I think that you will get a glimpse of that when he comes back, if he is taking a, a, you know, a handful of threes per game, you may get a glimpse into a different version, maybe even a better version of Victor Oladipo than we saw in, in 2017 and 18. So that's going to conclude this episode of the circle city sports podcast. We appreciate you guys coming on and listening to the show. Our thoughts and prayers, of course, are with the Bryants and with everyone that was affected in the uh, helicopter accident. Um, we hope you guys uh, enjoyed the show. We hope you guys come on to the next one. We hope you guys have a good rest of the day.